All right, yeah. All right, we've already kind of been through it. Let's go get your Bibles open for Samuel chapter 7. What's going on in Second Samuel chapter 7? We've been in it for like two months, you guys. Somebody should know what's going on in Second Samuel 7. David wanted to build God a house, a temple. And God shows, and David goes to Nathan. He says, Nathan, I want to build God a temple. And Nathan says, oh, king, do all that is in your heart. And then Nathan goes home. He comes back. And God says, Nathan, I didn't tell David to build me a house. And, and, and again, the, the, he says, I never asked David to build me a house, but I'm going to build him a house. Let's, let's take a look at it in verse chapter 7. Let's just start in um, verse number 18. It'll catch us up where we were. Um, it says, the king, then King David went in and sat before the Lord and said, Who am I, O Lord God, and what is my house that you have brought me this far? So David is, is very moved by the, the, the mercy and the grace and the compassion of God. And, um, you know, and, and David, when, when God tells him no, you know, David has a, a, a reaction here that we could all learn from. You know, so many times that, that God tells you no. And, you know, um, we, with our son, um, you know, he's been going through something and uh, Lydia today was, was encouraging him and she saw this little meme and it's a picture of Jesus and he has this big huge teddy bear behind his back and the little girl is holding this little tiny teddy bear and he's asking her to give it to him and she's like, like she doesn't want to give it to him and he's trying to get her to give him give her the little teddy bear but he's got a big huge one behind his back because he wants to bless her with something better and you know and, and but the reality is that in life God tells us no you know and even in something in this case where David wants to build the temple for God and you guys know the story David is in his palace he looks out he sees the tent that Moses erected and and God is there and David's living in this really nice house that they had built him and and he goes to Nathan the prophet and he says I want to build God a house and God comes back, and what God tells David is, no, you can't build me a house, but I'm going to build you a house. And, and, and what that is, is that's a messianic prophecy that through the line of David, that, that Messiah would come. And to this day, the, the, the Jews um, refer to Messiah as son of David because they understand that the Messiah is going to come through the line of David. One of the problems they have is they only won't be able to identify that because all the records were burned in AD 70 when Titus Vespasian sacked the city. But um, so they don't have those genealogical records anymore. But David is moved. He's moved by the grace of God. He's moved by the compassion of God that, that God wants to build him a house. And he says, who am I? And not, not only in the area of, of building a house, but he said, who am I that you have brought me this far even in life? And yet this was a small thing in your sight, O Lord God. You have also spoken of your servant's house for a great while to come. Is this the manner of man, O Lord God? Now, what more can David say to you? For you, Lord God, know your servant. Your, for your word's sake and according to your own heart, you have done all these great things to make your, your servant know them. Therefore, you are great, O Lord God. For there is none like you, nor is there any God beside you. According to that, we have heard with our eyes. There is no God like you. I think we sing a worship song like that. And who is like your people, like Israel, the one nation on the earth whom God went to redeem for himself as a people to make for himself a name and to do for yourself great and awesome deeds for your land before your people whom you redeemed for yourself from Egypt, the nations and their gods. For you have made your people Israel, your very own people forever. And you, Lord, have become their God. So in verse 24, he said, you have made them your people forever. So the, the nation of Israel are God's forever, never rescinded his promises. Any of the promises that God made to Israel are um, forever. 
you know, unfortunately, um, through history, what happened was, um, especially around the time of World War II, we developed, a, an, an, in certain circles, we developed a, a theology called replacement theology, that God was done with Israel, and that uh, Martin Luther was, was partially um, um, guilty and responsible for some of that teaching, because Martin Luther had such an evangelistic heart, and he wanted to go to the Jews and share the gospel with them, that when he began to bring the gospel and Jesus to the Jews, and they rejected it, he got very upset that they were rejecting the gospel and Jesus, and in his mind, he believed there was only one reason, it was because God was done with them, and then they take the promises of God and the things of God that are designed and called of Israel, and they say that no longer are Israel in place of those blessings and benefits, but now the church, the bride of Christ, is in the place of Israel called replacement theology. Um, it's not very uh, prevalent or, or popular today, praise God, but there are probably still some circles where, where that's the case. But obviously, as you know, we, we couldn't reject that more, and it couldn't be farther from the truth that the entire um, Bible is is central to Israel and to Jerusalem specifically and the Temple Mount and to the fact that, that there is a, a nation of Israel and God is absolutely not done with them. For in verse 24, you have made your people Israel your own people forever, and you, O Lord, have become their God. Now, O Lord, God, the word which you have spoken concerning your servant and concerning his house, establish it forever and do as you have said. Um. So David just, again, gives consent, and he's excited, and he says, Lord, do what you have said, and I receive the promise that you've given. So let your name be magnified forever, saying, The Lord of hosts is the God over Israel, and let the house of your servant David be established before you. For you, O Lord, God of hosts, of it, for you, O Lord of hosts, God of Israel, have revealed this to your servant David, saying, I will build you a house. Therefore, your servant has found it in his heart to pray this prayer to you. So this, this verse 27 is uh, um, part of the reason why I'm standing here today, 727 in 2 Samuel. And so uh, I was going to ask Lydia if she had it highlighted in her Bible, but she has her phone out and not her Bible, so can't be highlighted. But um, this verse uh, is super important, super you know meaningful to, to Lydia and I. We... When we were praying about coming to Utah, um, you know, I have to, in order to tell the story, I have to tell you about the North Dakota part, but I'm not going to take time to do that. But we, we were possibly going to start a church in North Dakota, and we were asking God and praying. We went to North Dakota. We spent some time there on the ground, and um, one of the, the, the hardest things in Williston, North Dakota, where they were having this oil boom and the population was exploding, and we had some folks from our home church that had went there for work, and there was no Bible teaching churches, and they were calling and asking us to pray about sending a pastor and, and a family to come out and plant a church there, Calvary Chapel out there in Williston, North Dakota. And so Lydia and I went and checked it out and we're seeking God and asking God if we were supposed to go. And um, the, the, the infrastructure in this town went from like 15,000 to like 55,000 in a matter of, of less than a year. There was no place to live. There was no homes available. People that had lived there their whole lives were renting out their basements to workers and families and um, you know, all any any homes that were for sale or any things that were rental, um, investment companies were buying them and putting men in them like eight to a house at $2,000 a piece. And there was just no place to live. Bach Homes, I think, was the company that was there, and they were building homes as fast as they could, and they were like $350,000 a piece, nice homes. But they, they just there was no infrastructure to keep up with this oil boom. 
So the, the problem that Lydia and I had, and we were willing to go, we felt like at the time God was calling us and we were going to go there and plant a church, and, uh, but we could not find a house. And we worked and we, we, we did everything we could to try to find a place to live in Williston, North Dakota. And I told the Lord, you know, there's nothing in my flesh that wants to go to uh, minus 40 below from Southern California. But, um, but I'll go, but I, I can't drive my family to North Dakota in a minivan with no place to live. So you at least have to help me find a place to live, God. That has to be a door you open in order for us to know you're in this. And the door never opened. Never did, never, never, never did open. So when we were, we were coming, then a short time later, God, um, and that was just part of the process that God was using to stir Lydia and I's hearts, it, it, you know, and, and oftentimes, like, like in Jacob's well, right? We have a famous well called Jacob's well that's, you know, where Jesus met the woman at Samaria in, in John chapter 4. Well, that, that original well, God told Jacob to go dig a well, and Jacob went and he dug a well, and the Midianites came and beat him up and took his well. And he's like, well, what's going on, Lord? And, and the Lord said, go, go dig another well. So he went down the street into a different place and he found a secure location and Jacob dug a second well. And the Midianites came and beat him up and took his well. And you're like, he's like, God told me to dig the first one. Why didn't he know the Midianites were going to take it or what's God doing? And so then the God, he goes back and he says, Lord, what do I do? And the Lord said, dig another well. So Jacob goes to dig the third well and he digs the third well. It's the well of Jacob that's there to this day. But, but God didn't fail, and it was God's will that he went through a couple things to get him to the spot and the place where God had intended him. And sometimes God does that in our lives. Sometimes you dig a well, and God told you to dig the well, and it doesn't turn out well. And it doesn't go the way you thought it would go, and it's okay. And it doesn't mean God wasn't in it. It doesn't mean you failed. It means that God was teaching you something or doing something in that. And, and part of the process for Lydia and I to go to North Dakota and fail or not be able to, to go, I think it was a part of the process that God was stirring in our hearts. So... When we got to the point where we, we felt like God was calling us to Tooele, we had this, this, this fear in our heart and mind from this last experience we just had that there was like no houses and we, would never, we wouldn't be able to find a place to live, you know. And so we were, we were specifically praying and, and, and asking God to still confirm his will if we were supposed to come or not. And, um, and, and we said, Lord, well, obviously we're going to need a house. And, and so we were laying in bed and I still remember it and you know, and so I, I did that thing where I closed my eyes and I flipped through the Bible like this and I flipped pages and I tried to make it random and I put my finger down and we're, we're, we're praying about a house and asking God for a house. And I put my finger down and I go like this. I said, for you, O Lord, God of hosts of Israel, have revealed this to your servant, saying, I will build you a house. Just like that. I mean, Lydia and I, both of our hearts exploded because it was like there could not have been a more direct word of God and sentence that God brought us to, there was absolutely no, you know, doubt that, that God um, led us to that, you know, and I always tease because I say that I don't necessarily always recommend that this is a way of de divining God's will for your life because, you know, you may do this and says, Judas went and hung himself. No, 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 that, that's not for me, you know, go and do likewise. No, 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 those two don't go together, you know, but Sometimes, you know, I can't discount it completely. God's actually used that method in my life a couple times where he just brought me to the right place. And, and as if he was standing next to me, the words came off the page of what he wanted to say. And I remember telling Lydia, I was like, wow, that worked really good. We should try that again. And I did it again that same, same, same minute. And uh, we came to a verse in the New Testament that said that your flight will be in the winter. And we moved here in February. So that's, that's my verse. I got, it, I got the date. Uh, 
written in my Bible here. And it says, um, February of 2013 is all I wrote. I didn't write the decks for David, but that's what we put in here. And then in verse 28, so again, God says to David, but I'll build you a house. And therefore, your servant has found it in his heart to pray this prayer to you. And now, O Lord God, you are God, and your words are true, and you have promised this goodness to your servant. Now, therefore, let it please you to bless the house of your servant, that it may continue before you forever. For you, O Lord God, have spoken it with your blessing. Let the house of your servant be blessed forever. And then, um, so, so again, what David ends up doing, as you guys know, is David spends the rest of his life um, pouting, he's upset, he's mad. He, he actually had made a model in his house of the um, temple that he wanted to build for God. And then when God told him no, David had a baseball bat there. Um, and yeah, there was baseball bats in David's day. And the Yankees were still winning, winning lots of games. And so David takes this baseball bat and he smashed that model temple that he made because he was angry that God said no. Anybody remember that? Nobody? Come on, Carl, help me out. <laughs> That's not in Chrysalonians. It could be, but it's not in First Chrysalonians. It's actually in a Hollywood movie that, was it Richard Gere? A Life of David. Nobody's seen the movie? What's wrong with you, you pagans? You don't watch Christian movies? There, there was a Christian movie made, and I don't even remember the actor. I'm thinking uh, Richard Gere, but he's made not old enough. But anyways... There was a movie uh, that, that was made, it was a B, B movie, but it was a Hollywood movie, and it was supposed to be on the life of David. And it, it was just as bad as the movie they made on the life of Jonah, or uh, Noah, right, and how blasphemous that was and how far from the truth it was. But in this movie, uh, for David, that's what happened. He, he made a model of the temple, and, um, and then when God told him no, he takes this bat, and he starts smashing it, and he's angry, and he's upset with God because God said no, and that's so far from the character of David and what we actually read in first in second Samuel seven, what David did was David praised the Lord and he said, God, your grace is amazing. And I can't believe that you've brought me this far. And, and, and I, and I don't deserve this promise that I can't build you a house, but in your great mercy and love, you say to me, you can't build me a house, but don't worry, David, I'm going to build you a house. And, and, and a King will, will not cease to sit on the throne of David for all of eternity. And we know that King is Jesus and that Jesus sits to this day on the throne of David and that prophecy is fulfilled through the line of David, Messiah would come. And, and David now, from this point on in his life, what he's going to do is he says, well, God didn't say I couldn't gather all the materials for the temple. Um, I think it was J. Vernon McGee, and he's an old, uh, amazing Bible teacher, still on the radio to this day, the Bible bus. He spoke with a real thick, like, Alabama accent, even though his church was in Southern California. But he spoke with the thickest southern accent you ever heard his whole ministry and his whole life. But one of the most amazing Bible teachers, way ahead of his time, he was a chapter by chapter, verse by verse, through the Bible guy. Um, and J. Vernon McGee said the only temple that Solomon ever built was the, the only temple that Solomon ever had was the one on the side of his head. And, and you know, the, the reason why he said that, and I've heard other people say that too, because we commonly refer to the temple that was there in Jesus' day as the temple that Solomon built or Herod's temple because Herod remodeled it. But um, and Solomon gets the credit for building it. But technically, you know, David is the one who didn't actually put the, 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 the things together. But David gathered all the materials. David is the one who gave all the supplies and put everything in Solomon's hands. And David spent from this point on the rest of his life preparing all the things that he would one day give to his son. And Solomon then would actually get the, the opportunity to build the temple. Now, 
Let's cover, let's just finish eight really quickly here. It says, after this, it came to pass that David attacked the Philistines and subdued them. And David took Methag Amna in the hand of the Philistines. And then he defeated Moab, forcing them down on the ground and measuring them off of the line. With two lines, he measured off those to be put to death. And with one full line, those he kept alive. So the Moabites became David's servants and brought tribute. David also defeated Hadiazar, the son of Rehoboam, king of Zuba, and went over to cover this territory in the river Euphrates. And David took thousands of chariots, 700 horsemen, and 20,000 foot soldiers. Also, David hamstrung all the chariot horses, except that he, that he spared enough of them for 100 chariots. What does it mean to hamstring a horse? We, we've seen this already once in the Bible. We studied it in the Old Testament. Hamstring a horse just means that it can't be used for battle. So they would... They would, I don't know what exactly, technically, physically, how they would um, cut or fix or do something to the horse's ligaments that you could, it just couldn't be used for battle anymore. So, you know, one of the things about David was the kings were told not to do three things. The Jewish kings, you guys remember what they are? The three things the kings were not to do. They were not to multiply wives. They were not to multiply horses. And they were not to multiply gold and silver to themselves. And on top of that, that's what they were not to do. And on top of that, they were supposed to write for themselves um, a copy of the Bible every year. And so um, David, uh, he was obedient in not multiplying horses. His son Solomon multiplied all three, um, horses, gold, and silver, and wives. But David um, did multiply wives unto himself, which, which is going to create him a lot of problems in his life. And we'll see that with his son Absalom later, where his son Absalom rebels. It, it, it put David in a position where he wasn't really um, a good father. He doesn't have a reputation as being a good father. He, as, as we go through the life of David, we see where he, he has all kinds of problems in his family. One of his sons rapes one of his daughters. Um, from you know, all they all had the same dad, but all had different moms, and um, and just lots of trouble. But David was disobedient in that area. And you know, one of the things that David was good at, and that David was was a warrior. And he was a, he was a fighter, right? The reason why God said David couldn't build a temple for God. You remember the reason that God quoted that that. David, why David couldn't build a temple? Because he was a man of war and his hands were, were bloody. He was a man of war and because David was a man of war, he wasn't allowed to build. And because Solomon, his son, would be a king of peace and a man of peace who never never himself engaged in war, he's the one that God used to build the te- actually build the temple. But David was a very good warrior. He, he was an accomplished warrior. His you know, like I've said before, in real life. And, and the Battle of Thermopylae, which is the one that's detailed in the, the movie, that, that epic movie 300 with Leonidas and his men, you know, and they fight and, you know, this, this epic battle of 300 men taking on the, the Medo-Persian army. And, um, you know, but th- those guys didn't have nothing on David in real life. I mean, David and his mighty men of war were, 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 were real, real soldiers and men. Under King David, the nation of Israel had its largest territories in history to this day. They don't have as much ground as David took um, and had. And, and as we know, Israel right now possesses 10% of the of the land that God promised them. When when God promised the land, the promised land to, to Abraham, um, the promised land encompassed an area that was um, um, 10 times larger than what it is today. At its, at its, at its highest and at its peak under King David... They had about 30% of the land that God had promised them. In, in, and if you get out a map and you, you line out the places that God said he would give them in the promised land, the area that was the actual promised land, um, in, in the time of David, they had about 30% of it. Today, they have about 10% of that. Um, 
and they never they never got more um, land than they did here in chapter eight, and then the, the nation of Israel was never as strong or as big. It only declined from this point forward in history. And in verse um, five, it says, um, "When the Syrians of Damascus came to help Hadiezer, king of Zobah, David killed twenty-two thousand of the Syrians." And David put garrisons in Syria of Damascus, and the Syrians became David's servants and brought tribute. So the Lord preserved David wherever he went. So again, David's um, conquest in battle ultimately has one um, area to thank, right? He had one thing in his life that gave him so much victory. Why did David, as a 15, 16, maybe at the latest 17-year-old boy, at 120 pounds, was able to kill a 10-foot giant named Goliath. Because David was just that bad to the bone? No. Because the, he had God on his side. Because the presence of God was with him. The presence of God is, you know, and I always try to stress this and emphasize this and say this, and I don't know how the right way to say it, but, you know, the presence of God is not the most important thing. It's not the only thing, because it's so much more than that. It's the everything. It's Everything in your life, in my life, is the presence of God. What does it all hinge off? God standing next to you. Jesus in your life. Jesus with you. The presence of God everywhere you go. Everything you do, that God's presence will go with you. You know, and that, that, that Moses illustrated this the best. And, and as Moses led the children, a daunting task of leading two million grumbling Jews through the wilderness. And, and God told Moses that, I, I want you to go and lead these people and do this. And Moses finally, in, in, in Exodus 33, he says, God, I'm not taking another step unless you go with me. I'm not going, and I'll go, and, I, and I'm excited, and yes, 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 but Lord, I'm not going unless you go with me. And God said, Moses, my presence go with you, and he promised that he would go with him. And again, in your life, in my life, it's the presence of God. And what do we see here in David's life? It's the mark of his success. You, you need success in your life. You want success in your life. You want victory in your life. I'll tell you what it is. It's the presence of God in your life. You want and need the presence of God in your life. And sometimes, you know, you say, oh, well, isn't God always with me in those things? God, in, in that sense, he's, he's as with you as you want him to be. You know, when you're doing something on Friday night that, you, you, you know, you're probably asking Jesus to wait in the other room. You'll be back in a little bit because you've got to go take care of some business or do something that, you know, you, you don't necessarily feel comfortable with his presence there in the room with you or what you do in your life. And so we do things, sometimes we conduct ourselves in a way that we, we, we don't invite God's presence with us in everything that we do, you know. The Bible says, be ye filled with the Holy Spirit. Um, and, and so continually being filled with the presence of God's Holy Spirit in our lives. And then um, it says, and David took, in verse 7, the shields of gold that he had belonged to the servants of Hadiezer and brought them to Jerusalem. And also from Beta and from Beheroi, cities of Hadiezer, King David took large amounts of bronze when Toy, king of Hamath, heard David had defeated all the army of Hadadezer. Then Toy sent Joram, his son, to King David to greet him and bless him because he had fought against Hadadezer and defeated him. For Hadadezer had been at war with Toy, and Joram brought with him articles of silver, articles of gold, and articles of bronze. And so, you know, one of the things that happened in David's conquering and in his life was that he was so successful and he was so victorious in all of his battles that oftentimes he didn't even have to fight battles. David would show up with his army. And the people would be like, don't kill us, don't hurt us, we'll give you whatever you want, we'll give you all the gold, silver, spoil, booty you want, just we, we surrender. Happened oftentimes in David's life. And it says, David, King David also dedicated these to the Lord, praise God, along with the silver and the gold that he had, that he had dedicated from all the nations which he had subdued. 
from Syria and Moab, from the people of Ammon, the Philistines, Am- from Amalek, and from the spoil of Hadiezer, the son of Rohab, Zoab, David made himself a name when he returned from killing 18,000 Syrians in the Valley of Salt. And he put a garrison in Edom throughout all of Edom. And he put garrisons and all the Edomites became David's servants. And the Lord preserved David wherever he went. Again, the Lord's presence and perseverance was with him. Um, and David reigned over all Israel. And David administered judgment and justice to all of his people. And Joab, the son of Zeruiah, was over the army. Jehoshaphat, the son of Eluhud, was the recorder. And Jadok, the son of Ahitub, was Ahimelech, the son of Abiathar, were the priests. And Sarai were the scribe. Benaiah, the son of Jehodiah, was over both the Cherethites and the Pelethites. And David's sons were chief ministers. So that's kind of chapter 8, is the season where... You know, it talks about where David, um, in conquest, began to gather the, the things that he would use for the temple. There's a verse in the Bible that God, that says God um, takes the spoils of the wicked and preserves them for the righteous. And, and oftentimes that, you know, when you think about it, the, the, the very materials that God used to build his own house, his temple, this very, a lot of the things that came that eventually made it into the hands of Solomon that he used to build the first temple they came from the hands of the wicked, and God used them in, in, um, for the righteous. And that's, that's, a, that's one of the Proverbs. Amen? Amen. Let's stand. Father God, we come before you, Lord Jesus. And God, we thank you. We give you glory and honor. God, we thank you for your word, Jesus. We thank you for the life of King David. We thank you, Lord, that, that David is a man who had... Um, such amazing victories, God, such amazing blessings. And, Lord, that you were with him wherever he went, God, and even in his failures, God, and even a man who, who has and we're getting ready to study some, some great times of disappointment and failure in his life, God, but as a man that deeply, deeply loved you, Lord, and was used by you, God. And, Father, the fact that he understood that it wasn't in himself that he was great, that it was in you. And when he fought Goliath as a young man, he said, the God of Israel, and he understood that it was the God of Israel, was the God of angel armies, God, that, that, that was his strength. And that, that he comes to him, Goliath comes with sticks and stones, but he comes in the name of the Lord. And God, I pray for each one of us that we would come in our lives in the name of the Lord. That we would know, God, that it's your presence with us that gives us victory in business and life and marriage and family. And Lord, that we would desire and we would be a people who would rise up each morning and get in the word and seek for our day and our lives the presence of God. That the habits, Lord, that we have that um, we're not so proud of all the time, that, that we'd be embarrassed if you were standing next to us, Lord, that, that those habits would die, Lord, just because we'd rather be with you and we'd rather not have to ask you to leave us alone for a little bit or, or remove your presence from us, God. And Lord, we know that you, you never leave us. Your presence never leaves us, God, but we want to just be in tune and know your presence, God, and know your will. And so, Father, bless. Bless each person in here tonight, God, and we thank you and praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you guys. Love you guys. Have a great week. Hey, keep the men in prayer, please, of our church. We'd appreciate that.